Welcome to the OFD Podcast, everyone. I am your host, Joshua Voles. I am the site manager at One Foot Down. Hey, I'm also the emperor, supreme warlord, and defender of the faith. And tonight we got uh, uh, we got our first guest of all time. Uh, we'll get to him in just one second. Um, but uh, with me, as always, is Jude Seabor, editor at One Foot Down. Jude, say hello. Hey, coming from you live at in South Bend, Indiana. And I actually mean South Bend because I am off the campus. Yes, you are on location. You're fucking, you're there. <laughs> True warrior right there. Uh, also rejoining us this week is Brad Wechter over in Chi-Town. Coming from you live post-nap Chicago, Illinois. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, groggy. Here we go. <laughs> and then our special guest tonight, all the way out in the West Coast uh, with all them Trojans, uh, writer over at UHND.com, Greg Flamung. Hey boys, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Nailed it. Absolutely <laughs> nailed that last name. All right. So spring game, we got basically everything we need to know leading up to it. Uh, today they released the, the game format. They had, they tried to, uh, Clark Lee and Chip Lawn out. Uh, and those were fairly long press conferences. Uh, um, but I mean, I guess when they only talk like twice a year, the press, really, everyone really wants to get their questions in. Um, so I mean, let's. I guess let's just start chipping away at the at what this is going to be at. Um, Ian Book, Phil Jerkovic. A lot of people are interested in looking to, to see really what Phil's got to bring to the table. And I mean, is that for you guys? Is that something? Is that one of your top top things to see? Is is how Phil reacts? I mean, I think we're all under agreement, and I and if we're not, we need to like pause this episode. They we're all under agreement that, that obviously Ian Book is the starter. No one here is clamoring for a Phil Jerkovic era to start um, this season. So uh, we'll just leave it at that, I suppose. Uh, but it, but is watching Jerkovic's uh, progression, uh, even in your guys' top three, top four things to see this spring? Uh, I'll just start. Um, I have kind of a hot take about this. I think after this game – there's going to be like a big, like should Phil be the starting quarterback talk? And the why? Reason, because he throws like a seventy-yard bomb that you're like, holy shit! So it's it's a combination of the fact that he loves to throw it deep. Like every report that I've listened to or read about spring ball is like he's a little bit he doesn't doesn't really know the offense. You know, he's not as good at the checkdowns as Book is, but he loves to throw the deep ball. The other thing we've heard a lot is that the receivers to a man are just killing it all the way down to Joe Wilkins. So you have really good receivers that go five or six deep. And then you have a secondary who beyond Troy pride and the two starting safeties aren't that great. Like they're, they're a little bit green or whatever. If he's chucking the ball to Lawrence keys and Joe Wilkins all over the place, and, you know, Derek Allen and uh, the DJ Brown, the converted corner who's playing safety, there's going to be people wide open, wide open all over the place. 
Like people, people are going to be so excited about Phil Jerkovic. He's going to complete like 15 passes for 250 yards and four touchdowns. I mean, are we? Are, and he is not. He is not going to do that. Are we on the verge of like a junior jabby situation? Is that what you're getting at? <laughs> I'm just saying, like he's this. The way it sets up with the strengths of the offense and the weaknesses of the defense, he should have a big day. I'm not going to overreact about it, but people are going to overreact about it. I mean, to jump into Greg's point here, it, it's, you know, it, Phil, and I think it's Dracovic. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm wrong about am this. I, am I saying it wrong? I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I spent five minutes trying to get Greg's last name right. You think I'd, <laughs> anyway, I'd get Phil, Phil's last name. Phil the backup, as we like to call him. Um, <laughs> there's, there's really no downside for him. He can let it all air out. He's got nothing to, to gain, and he's got I mean, he's got everything to gain and nothing to lose, right? So uh, to, to Greg's point, if he hits somebody on a 50-yard route deep uh, and they totally torch a, a backup corner or something like that, he's going to look great. But you know what? The blue goal game is meant for offense. It's meant for the offenses to look great. And I, I would not be surprised if Greg's prediction comes true because, well, I think Ian Book can also you know, feel a little bit free to let it rip uh, in this game that means nothing and the stats mean nothing. Um, I think that, you know, the Phil really has nothing to lose. If he throws two picks or overthrows guys or whatever, then it's like, okay, well, he's the backup quarterback for a reason, you know? But if he hits those guys, it's like, uh, like Greg said, oh, like there, there'll be a, a, you know, 10 columns launched. Uh, oh, should we be looking at this guy a little bit more closely? Uh, ask Brian Kelly a couple questions, you know? So um, I, I think that uh, it's set up for him to, for the backups to always succeed. Now, having said that, uh, Deshaun Kaiser turned in one of the worst blue game performances I've ever seen in my entire life. Montgomery Van Gorder looked way better than him. Way better. Um, and he started that year and won what it was at nine games. So, uh, you know, whatever you do in the blue gold game is obviously, and Junior Jabby obviously proves it on the opposite side, or Munir Prince or whoever was great uh, back in the blue game, gold game. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, he just ran past his house swear to god <laughs> you could have a great game and it literally means nothing so let's just have fun and yeah let's let's see phil air it out yeah and Robert, i think to, ahead, well, to speak to the fact that a lot of people are going to start talking about that they're also going to look historically they're going to say well look last year you know four or five games in or six games in whatever it was or four games in uh you brought in the backup ian book and they went to the playoff or you know uh Malik Zaire goes down with an injury and Deshaun Kaiser comes in and leads them to the brink of the playoff. Like this is what has signified success in the Brian Kelly era. Why don't we give Phil the backup a look? And I think that's going to fuel a lot of those takes, those hot takes. Especially like you just brought up Malik Zaire. Think of how everyone reacted to every spring game he ever played in. Oh yeah. Uh, he, he was always better than Everett Golson in the spring games. And mm-hmm. And then you put him in, you know, he, he obviously played well against Texas, but then you saw how he looked. Um, in Pre-injury, Virginia, he was yeah. not so hot. Yeah, like he, yeah, I mean, he was coming back down to earth. So, you know, he, he tore it up in every spring game and everyone wanted him instead of Everett. So that's kind of how I expect it to go. Um, but I think Ian Book will, I mean, he'll be fine. He'll I mean, be fine in the sure. game. It's just Phil's just going to blow it off. I'm pretty sure Justin Brent scored the first touchdown pass in the 2014 or 15 spring game. And, he absolutely and, did. And I started a whole fan club off of Corey Holmes' performance in a spring game. So, yes. Uh, yes. you know, and he was just tortured backups. So, look, I, I, 
I, I'm not going to criticize anyone who just completely goes overboard with this. Um, but yes, I think it's important to keep these things in perspective. This is, this is a, 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 a scrimmage. This is a practice with better optics. This is a practice that we all get to see as opposed to just the media uh, who, who are you know, credentialed or nobody at all, right? So just take it for what it's worth and, and try not to go overboard, even though we all will. See, people yeah. thought, think I'm crazy for starting fan clubs for tattoos and dreadlocks. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I guess we could do it all based off of spring games. I mean, sure. Um, I guess I, I my only thing I'm going to add to this is that I think Ian Book's going to fucking tear it off. I I really do. I think I think they've that's been the main thing for them all spring long. Is uh, if you listen to Chip Chip Long talk at all today in the press conference, he mentioned it once again. Was you know they they want Phil to take some chances, which is a little scary sound. And, you know, just the word chances sounds scary. Uh, but, you know, they want him to throw deep. They wanted him to, you know, to do more than check down, do more than check down uh, because they, they want this offense to be more explosive than it was. And I think this is the perfect, you know, it's, it's going to be boomer bust. Uh, I think for Ian on Saturday, I think he's going to, you know, he know he's the starter. He's the man, no matter what happens outside of a fucking injury, knock on wood. Um, he's, you know, he's got the job. So I think he's going to let it rip. And I think with the wide receivers that we have, uh, you know, I think they're going to pick on Houston Griffith. We'll get to that when we talk about defense a little bit, but, uh, I think he's going to look good. I think, I don't think the talk, uh, I think the talk's going to be like, I, and I know, but I know exactly what you're saying. It, that can, that can has, and totally will, would happen, <laughs> you know, if Phil has a good game. Uh, but, uh, I think, I think. Book's gonna gonna quiet that. I think you'll have a, a pretty fair performance. Um, so moving on to um, you know to running back here just for just a minute. You know, for losing a guy as um, as fantastic and as sexy as Dexter Williams is, you know, the talk this spring there hasn't been much running back talk. And I guess I guess my point in all that, or I guess my thought is, you know, bef- the first four games of the season last year they did fairly well you know it, it wasn't great but I, I think Jafar Armstrong really surprised a lot of people to be honest um and I was you know the numbers weren't fantastic weren't amazing uh but you know like against Michigan I thought he was really effective um and so I I, I kind of have a comfortable a comfortability level uh let me talk here for a second um you know with, with Jafar because of that and uh maybe the staff does too because there really hasn't been a whole lot of pressing questions from the media uh nothing you know not a whole lot from the staff i mean they they mention them and they talk about the guys coming around and uh today chip long talks about running back by committee um i I, but i guess the committee if you want to talk about it'd be more than two right it was just two running backs it'd be tandem with jones and jafar a committee would involve a third person and no one's really talked about who that third really is going to be whether you know is it kyron williams sebo jameer um how are we feeling about running back right now? I, 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 I kind of feel like, like it's there, it's there to explode and it's also there to implode. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of, I wonder where all the faith in Jafar comes from a little bit, just because I, I, I love his skill set and like everything you read about him is he loves football. I mean, like they talk about him, like they talked about Theo Riddick and they always do like, compare him to Theo Riddick, which is obviously great 
because he was great for the team, you know, 2011 and 2012. Um, but then, like, what game can you really point to where, you know, he, he was kind of running the show? Like, he kind of had everything on his shoulders. Theo Riddick or Jafar Armstrong? Ja- Jafar Armstrong. Oh, I, was, I say, let me talk about Theo Riddick. I'll bring it <laughs> right now. <laughs> No, Don't get, oh about, my I'm God, are you kidding me? I'm talking about Jafar. No, um, no, well, I think that, I mean, I think that Michigan was, Michigan game was a proof of point, but like I said, it wasn't like his numbers were, you know. But he was a ghost after he came back from his injury. I mean, yeah, he, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the touches that he got right. in the last game, in the games after he came back were just, they weren't there. I mean. Well, and, I mean, and the, well, the carries were going to be there anyways. Because of what Dexter's done. I mean, let's get real here. We weren't going to take carries away from Dexter just to involve Jafar more into the game plan. I liked what they used with him at in New York. Uh, you know, they they did some two back set stuff there that they really hadn't done for most of the season. They, I think they did a little at Navy, uh, and that, that's where Jafar had a couple of really nice uh, receptions coming out of the backfield. But um, they used to do back stuff stuff against Syracuse that was pretty slick. But I mean, yeah, you're right. I you know. He, Getting used to be, they keep mentioning it too. Get used to getting banged around, getting his pad level down. I mean, all that stuff's important. I guess I have some weird blind faith that that all this theoretic talk means that you know, like, like if we just hold hands in a circle with some fucking candles, I think we can get them there. I I I have faith in it, despite the fact that like there's not a ton of evidence for it. I have faith just because. There's so like there's so much talk about his work ethic, and I think he takes it really seriously. So I think he'll be mentally and physically prepared to do it. Um, and I think that Ian Book only started one game without Dexter, and that was Wake Forest. And now, granted, that was a terrible defense, but you saw you know kind of the template for you know they they gave a lot of work to Jafar. And he ran really well, and he caught um, a couple passes. They had Tony Jones doing a lot of work um, in the running and passing game. And then they got Avery Davis involved. And look, I don't know <laughs> if it's going to be – I don't know if it's going to be, you know, Jameer Smith or Sebo or Kyron Williams or whatever, but I think they can replace what, you know, Avery Davis's production as the third back with one of those three people. I mean, let me ask you guys this. Does, does Jafar and Tony – are they do they go hand in hand for success this year? So instead of what are they going to need each other to be successful, or is one going to rise above the other? So to speak? Well, you know, I, mean, I think I maybe to answer your question is: Do we have any proof that Jafar Armstrong can be a bell cow back? Because well, that's we, I guess that that's that's kind of why I'm we, asking that. If we don't, and I don't think we do, then I think that yes, that Tony Jones Jr.'s success is integral to Jafar Armstrong's success, and they're intertwined. And if Jones Jr. is to go down, I mean, it's going to be next man in. But um, we can't at this point. We can't say, okay, well, don't worry, uh, Kyron Williams will get you ten carries a game. You know what I mean? Because we didn't think that about Deion McIntosh until he was able to show it. You know what I mean? So it, it may be out there. It may be it, like Greg say. It may be Sibo, maybe Jameer, or whatever. But at this point, I don't think you want Jafar Armstrong running twenty, twenty-five carries a game. I just don't think so. But, but to speak to your point about Deion McIntosh a little bit, like we sort of had a better idea of who the lead backs were when Deion McIntosh and Tony Jones Jr. were getting carries when we had 
Dexter Williams or yeah, and going back further than that, I'm thinking about like Josh Adams. Like, I mean, we're a little spoiled going back a couple of years. We've had some young running backs who have shown like in the instance of Adams, like his first run was a home run. It was a touchdown. Same for Dexter Williams. He, he would get large chunks of yards and was very explosive in all of his runs. And now we're looking at a running back core of guys who we, we don't even know if they're going to be able to be the bell cow running back, the lead running back. And then we've got three guys who don't even have a single carry, like with Smith, Williams, and Flemister. So I think that's where the apprehension comes from, and I think we're a little, little spoiled. So I, I think uh, I, I lean towards the direction of being I mean, apprehensive I, about this group. If you're asking me if Jafar Armstrong is going to be a thousand yard rusher this year, I'm selling it. I'm sorry. I'm just, I just, okay. I'm, I'm doubting Thomas. Yeah. People I, talk no. about that. Like almost like it's a given. Yeah. See, I, I don't, I don't buy the thousand yards either. I mean, but, but I, that doesn't mean it, I don't, I mean, I firmly believe he'll, he'll rush for over 800. I mean, I, if he stays healthy, I think an 800 yard season. But I think that go, that goes with Tony Jones Jr. running for about you know six and a half, seven hundred. I think. I think. Uh, I, think that, I think. Go ahead. No, I mean, I just, I just think you start breaking down the numbers. I, I think what they want, what this team wants to do. I mean, what they're best at is obviously going to be throwing the ball because of Ian Book and and the receivers that he has. But I mean, they want to run the ball, and you know, shooting for that. I know 2000 still seems kind of low for a team mark, but they're shooting for that 2000. So you got to get 2000 yards somehow. Right. And I, I just don't know if it's going to be spread all the way down. I mean, like the third, I don't think the third back is going to have 400 yards. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, in a injury, mostly injury free type of world. Greg, you had something to add? Yeah. I mean, I, well, I think, I think Theo, in 2012 was like 915 something like that he was he was below a thousand um and then i think i think uh sierra wood was somewhere around 500 600 so right but i mean I, I don't i don't know off the top of my head like where i mean they had george atkinson too i don't remember a ton of people after them right, getting we're carried. talking about two different offenses too you know from 2012 or two you're looking at more Brian I'm just Kelly. trying to I'm just trying to imagine like the distribution oh okay just okay. like how how can they like how can they like where did those teams get carries from because there's not a ton of like post 2015 you know 2014 was a was a platoon 2017 um, was off the hizzy 20, 2017 was but like they don't they didn't re- they don't really like like but, I mean, they, they, give, they, they, give, Josh, they give a they ton of Josh Adams into the ground in 2017. So right, they give a ton for, of guys for no reason with holes the size of Texas. They give a they give a ton of carries to a person in an individual game, and then that person gets hurt, and then they give a, <laughs> a, a ton of carries to another person in an individual game. That's what happened in 2015. Like Adams and Procise weren't really a platoon system; they just gave Procise a ton of carries. And he got hurt, and then they gave Adams a ton of carries. And they both ended up with, you know, Adams was like 800 and ProSize was 1,000. But they, they, it's like they don't have a big track record of one guy getting 12 and one guy getting 10. Right, right. 
So, so I'm just, how, many, how many carries would you be comfortable with Ian Book getting per game? Because it's not a Brandon Wimbush type situation. It's not a Deshaun Kaiser type situation. But they still run it. I mean, they're still running the, uh, you know, the the same type of offense where that quarterback's going to run. Oh, absolutely. But I'm just saying, how many times do you feel comfortable? Um, Eight, I mean, maybe design I mean, runs where it's 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 not a it's not a read option. He keeps it. It's a like Ian Book is getting this ball and running with it. Oh, maybe four or five. I, I mean, I you take away the read option stuff. I, I think like maybe four designed d- designed runs that that don't involve, um, you know, like a quarterback sneak or you know whatnot. I wonder if the running backs bleed carries to the Chris Finks and the uh, the Lawrence Keys. Oh, that's on interesting the team too, and Michael Young too, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that that might be another way they go. They yeah. don't have a ton of they don't have a ton of outside speed either. I mean, aside from Jafar, but if you've got Tony Jones in the game and you want to get horizontal, I could see them doing jet sweeps or something like that with Fink or or Keys. Well, I, I mean, I guess we can we we can, we'll transition over into the wide receivers. Um, and you know, I, it, it's actually funny. I, I watched the uh, I I told myself I would never watch them again in those fucking uniforms, but I watched the uh, the Syracuse game again last night. <laughs> and, and uh, my favorite play, I thought, was the two back, like the basically like fullback trap, uh, which is was just fucking beautiful. But it it ended up. I think it, looking back, watch it again. It was the read option that Book ran, and he went out about about six seven yards out of the tackle box, and and zinged it over to Boykin. It only got about five or six yards, but it was that. It, it kind of reminded me. This is going to sound stupid, but it reminded me of how Denard Robinson used to run offense in Michigan, where they'd just fucking be gunning for him. He's on the edge, and then you got a guy who's running almost, you know, parallel to him, zinging it over there, and them getting yards. I with this set of receivers, and they've already mentioned before in spring that you know you could see, you know, Finky and Keys out there at the same time together. You know, they start they go into like a four wide set or something like that. I, I think to your point about what you just said about uh, using those guys in the run game, I think they definitely could. I mean, Kelly's, I mean, you, you can go back, you know, a lot of years now that Kelly's like to use, uh, you know, the slot guy, like on a jet motion or something of that nature. Uh, and I think if you got the speed and that you can get him in that, in that spot, I mean, think about Lindsay on a, a jet, on a jet sweep, catching the defense kind of sleeping a little bit, you know, that has a little bit of potential, right? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think so. And, 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 and let me no shit, I was just saying that. <laughs> I, I, I have such a thing for Lawrence Keys. I, I think he's going to be so good. I, I can't wait to see him. I, I, I'm, I don't. I wrote an article about him earlier in the spring, and I tried to temper my enthusiasm in that too. <laughs> I, I just think he's going to be great. I think he's going to be so good. I, I, he has a chance to like come in and I don't even want to say what I'm about to say. I, I think, I think he's, I think he's going to have like a, like almost like a Will Fuller, like, Whoa, like what's up with this guy? Oh, so you think uh, Greg, what, what the do you best see sophomore on the-, of the bunch when it's all said and done? Cause I mean, so it's a pretty stacked class. I mean, I think, I think, I think he might, I think because the way that I, I like just what, when I watched his film, in high school it's like man this guy he just knows how to get open like he's a little guy 
and everything, but he's got that burst. Like even so more so than Michael Young does for a little guy. Like he just has that. He is going full speed after two steps. He knows how to get open. He has great hands. He always is making plays. And he he's fast. Like people don't think about him like they do Lindsay because he ran track, but like I was looking, I couldn't find a time for him. I don't know what he runs. I don't know what his 40 is. I don't know what he ran in the hundred. But I'm just watching him. I'm like, man, that guy's explosive. And I mean, Lindsey was fast enough for Oregon to gun after him hard for track. Oh no, no, Lindsey so, is I mean, not. Lindsey is not slow. He's a ten five guy. Like that's yeah, that's fast. Um, but I just think Keys has that just football speed, like Fuller did. Like Fuller doesn't have. Um, he, he I don't know if he ran track or whatever film. And it's like, yeah, I guess he's fast. And then you put him out against Rice, and he's open by 10 yards in the first game. And it's like, whoa, like, what's this about? I, I don't want to put it on him like that because Fuller is obviously a rocket ship. But I just think, he, he's, I think he's a special player. And like, you just look at the way everyone is talking about him. You listen to any beat writer. They talk about Lawrence Keyes. It's every practice. It's like, yeah, he's making plays. Yeah, he's making plays. I think he's, he's going to be awesome. So what so, are we doing? What are we to make of Kevin Austin and his situation? I mean, I mean, what what can what can we take away from what's going on this spring with the the not mention his name to start off with, and then the praise, and then the diet? I mean, it, even today, Chip Long. I, I mean, I kind of took his comments about you know you got to show up at practice, or else you know you consider yourself off this depth chart. You know, there is no game day tryouts, is what he said. I mean. You kind of feel like he's – I can't think of any more on offense that's more that's more directed to than a guy like Kevin Austin. Does that make sense? It's hard because the last guy they talked about that was Stefferson. Right, right. That, that, and that's another Florida kid too. Right, I mean, exactly. Like all the dominoes are there for like what the hell is really going on, you know? You know, they and the way they talk about it, just the subtle things they say. I, I don't know if he's struggling in the classroom or whatnot, but it just feel just feels like you know you're just you're everybody's waiting for Austin to explode. He was the guy that flat. He was the the freshman last year that flashed, and here's the here it is a sophomore year should be stepping up into a major role, especially with the departure of Boykin, and that just, that just doesn't happen in the spring. I mean. Are we, am I putting too much stock into what, what he's doing this spring? Because to me, it's the staff puts a ton of stock into what these guys are doing practice-wise, like more yeah. so than I hear from other programs, to be honest with you. So is this a case where it's just another lost talent, or am I totally jumping the, the gun on that one? It, so, it sounds like the, the difference between this situation and Stefferson, as I recall, is that Stefferson in the spring, like he couldn't get reps at all. And Austin is out there having good practices that are being reported on. So at least he's out there doing things. Um, it doesn't seem like he's going to be suspended. It's just, you know, you've got Braden Lindsay who gave up track, you know, and you've got Lawrence Keyes who is, you know, has been Greg's looking good the month. forever. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> you've got these guys who are just like they are putting in the work, obviously. And then you have Austin, who's the highest rated, who, you know, fell out of favor at the end of last year. 
And they're probably saying, like, look at your classmates. Like, they're, they're out there doing it. They're working hard. They're giving up things. Apparently, Braden Lindsay is, like, running through hamstring issues, which I wish they would not have him do that. But, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> I don't know. It's a soft tissue injury. Like, what's the, it's not a toughness thing. It's, it's an injury. Um, and one of the one of the names that none of us have, have mentioned so far is the is the name that really that Austin's probably chasing, and that's Michael Young, who by all accounts has had a fantastic spring. Yeah. And you know, what if you've if anyone's watched Michael Young play football, uh, I mean, God, I almost put Bob Davy there with the football. Football. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, Michael Young's explosive. He's got a second gear. He did give up in that Wake Forest game. Should have scored a touchdown. I'll never forgive him for that. Um, <laughs> like, dude, what are you doing? But, Brian Kelly got on him, too. Oh, yeah, everybody. I mean, Wake Forest <laughs> fans should have got on him for that one. What the fuck, dude? Play. Um, but, you know, the guy's got talent. He had he had some really good moments last year. Um, also, you know, could end up being our, our main kick returner this year. Uh, what, what What's your guys' thoughts, Jude? What, what what do you think about Michael Young? Do you, do you this it seems like that of all of our receivers, you know this is including Claypool and Finky. Young seems to be the one that's getting overlooked the most. And dude, he's probably he's probably going to be starting against well, Louisville I, day one. I, I was just going to say he, he's projected right now as the third starter. Is, is he not? I, that's, yeah, that's I mean, I, that was my understanding. Yeah, he is for so. sure. He for is, sure. Yeah. yeah. So I I just I don't want to go off Michael Young too much, but. Kevin Austin, I believe, is the tallest of the group, right? Of the ones that we talked about. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say I think McKinley, but I mean, we really don't need oh, to talk about him. Yeah, um, and I think that there's there's something to be said about needing somebody who can play like the Miles Boykin type position. Um, you know, the jump up and get up and grab it and have the the wingspan and everything like that. I, I thought that's maybe what I thought Kevin Austin. Was well, they moved. Be. I mean, how much of a, how much of a difference is going to make or not? still yet to be seen but ba- i mean basically the the miles boykin slot um you know that or position that was they moved claypool over to do that do be more of the boundary receiver yeah so, i mean I'm, i guess my feelings about young is that he's he's the incumbent and he's he's had a good spring and so i fully expect him to be out there but i also think that the the young guys are like and i think keys is the one that i heard the most positive practice reports about um, are really nipping at his at his heels. You know what I mean. So um, I don't I don't think you can take any anything for granted in terms of uh, until in terms of what he's offering. All right, well we're gonna move on. Uh, we're gonna keep this thing moving a little bit. So um, uh, you guys got any last things to say about receivers? No, no one's mentioned. Uh, I don't think our boy Chris Fink. Um, uh, you guys got anything? Any last uh, retorts about the wideouts? I mean, Chris Fink to me is like Julian Edelman. He just always seems to manage to get himself open, and I don't know how he does it based on his current size and his his weight. And and and, and in, in the beginning when he first started, I remember how terrible of a blocker he was, and I feel like that's really picked up. That's really part of his game that he's much more on. aggressive than he was. Yeah, yeah. In the last two years, and to the point where he, it's not that he was ever, I wouldn't say liability, but it, it just was not. It was not ideal to have Chris Fink out there, and now it's. I feel like it's he's an indispensable part of the, what they're trying to accomplish in the receiving game. One of the things they they said in the reports is that you know it was one practice in particular, like Chris Finky did not embarrass everybody today like normal, and that, that <laughs> says. A, I mean, 
that says a lot, you know, like, so every practice Fink's going out there and just making everybody his bitch. And I, I just, it's just one of those things where everyone overlooks him, whether it's, you know, because he's the walk on coming at, you know, former walk on and all that, but he just, he constantly gets overlooked and they're right. He constantly gets open. How many times were you screaming at the TV last year? Like, Oh my God, Vicky was open. And I mean, it, it's a lot. I mean, you go back to look, you look at the, the tweets from each game and people are just like, fuck, you know, he's right there. Uh, or the overthrows uh, from, from book uh, to think deep. But uh, I just, I just think he, I think he's going to have a spectacular season. I think we're going to be ready for a, for a show with think and Claypool is, is, is coming on as strong as anybody. And they, they pump his name out. The staff does left and right. Um, and then everybody that's been watching, uh, you know, Clay, you know, the talk before the season was maybe Claypool and Boykin, not that it was legitimate, but they're, you know, maybe, maybe they, they both leave for the NFL, you know, and then Claypool stays. I think they're, I mean, I think they're, the expectations for Claypool from the staff are extremely high. Well, and I think the expectations for Claypool from himself are extremely high. I mean, I think that he's watched all of his friends go make money. Uh, either through uh, about to make money or have made money uh, from NFL contracts and, and, you know, being in the weight room and getting serious about combine stuff and stuff like that. And he knows that this is his time that if he wants to make the red maple leaf, man, (laughs) if he wants to go, you know, make that, that same money that his friend, Miles Boykin just is about to make, then he's going to take this a lot more seriously, you know, that he, He he, he probably thinks he's more talented than them too, which is probably true. He's, I mean, look, Claypool is as athletic as they get. Right. We've, we've all, we saw that from day one when he's on special teams. I mean, the, there's something special to him. And it's just a matter of getting it out of him, um, which, you know, I just imagine the staff is just like beating their heads against the fucking wall, you know, some days. Like they know it's there, but just getting it all out of him. Right. So, and we, we saw that. What was it, 2017 against Wake Forest? He had like a 12 catch game or whatever. And it was just like, this guy's going to be outstanding for us, yeah. you know? Oh, for sure. Just need, just need 12 games like that this year. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere in there. Well, hey, you know, but we need, we need, uh, we need big bastards, you know, up front to do any of this shit. Right. So, but, so we got four of our starters back uh, who are, our, what was our eventual starters last season after the injury to Alex bars before our starters back, had, you know, garden tackle both sides. And then they moved Jarrett Patterson, which, which they seem to be gushing over. And to me, it was like a blindside move. That was like one you didn't see coming. You thought either, no. you know, Trevor Roland, you thought Luke Jones, even not to say that Zeke Carell was going to be in a position to, to play much as freshman year, but those are just the three names you're rattling around, right. As a center. And even, I know that they had worked Aaron Banks before at center, you know, it, so it, maybe in a pinch they would need that. And then day one, they bring, they, they, they basically fucking crown Jarrett Patterson starter at center. Um, I, I mean, I, I wonder if they knew that Luke Jones was as unhappy as he was made out to be. I don't um, think you can, I don't think a, an unhappy college kid hides it very well. So, you know I, mean, I mean, do you think that that's what caused Pat, them to look at Patterson at center or were they already, were they, were already like, we're not going to get, you know, no, no, I don't. I, I think, I think they are in love with Patterson as much as they were when they recruited him. I mean, they yeah. really wanted this kid badly. This was a huge get for him. and there's an open spot and you know, Hey, do you think this guy can, you know, 
do you think he can do it? Yeah, you know, I think he can. Well, let's, you know, let's let's give it a shot. And for whatever they whatever look they got, maybe they started in practice leading up to the bowl game. You know, because that was a pretty definitive day one removing him here. You know, like and crowning him a starter, they had to have worked him at center somewhere a lot. Maybe it was on the scout team. You know, throughout the season, you, you know, the media has no access for practice throughout the season, so we have no idea what they were working on. So, because that this was kind of a surprise move. Um, so, I mean, how are we feeling about the line? I mean, the you know what the funny thing is too is like all these guys can come back next year. <laughs> and it, you know, Hainsey and and uh, Kramer and and uh, Eichenberg, they felt like they've been there, you know, forever. Uh, but they really didn't have a great. They didn't have a good season last year. Uh, if you go and look back at their um, at all, all the offensive line stats between stuffs and all that stuff, they they really needed a guy like Dexter Williams to bail them out. Um, but by all accounts, you know, another year they should improve. Do are we worried? Are we uh, excited? Uh, what uh, tell me how I should feel because right now I just want to grab a bottle and cry for a minute. I can't come up with a reason why this isn't the best unit on the team. Defensive ends? No, I mean the total unit. I mean, I don't mean like like that would oh, be like two tackles. Across, like, across the across, line, okay. Yeah, across the board. Like apparently Kramer looks the best he ever has. They've been gushing about Aaron Banks since he was inserted last year. And so I guess Hainsey graded out as their best offensive player throughout the season or something like that yeah like i i don't know how that works or whatever based on just you know you have ian book and miles boykin and Derek dexter williams but i mean they said what they said i whatever if he's top five (laughs) they they did they did say what they said (laughs) yeah they said it they fucking said it they said what they said and that's what they said but you know so you have him and you have Eichenberg, who presum- presumably is going to be better. He looks better. What's the problem? Especially with their, like you said, they've been talking about Jared Patterson like all year. Just like, oh, he looks great. They love him. They love him. And that's why Luke Jones left. Luke Jones, he probably thought, okay, Mustafer's gone. Ruland is, has his shoulder problem or whatever. I'm going to be the guy, and then they slid him over. That's the writing on the wall. Like, that's your classmate. If you think he's starting for four years, how am I going to play? And then they, I mean, they recruit a guy like Carell, who exactly. was a guard, and they, uh, yeah, he's going to be a center. Yeah. So like, yeah. I mean, Luke, Luke definitely saw the writing on the wall. Yeah. So I don't know. Why, why, why can't they be, why can't they be really good? They should be really good. There's no reason for them not to be. I mean, are we trusting Jeff Quinn at this point? Are are we still holding on to, you know, and to Quinn's defense, it's not like every game Notre Dame had, you know, we were all praising Harry Heastan. There's plenty of times I remember where the line was just playing like dog shit. And Uh, 2016 when they had both Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey. Yeah, you know, I mean, times like that. Uh, But I mean, it's an important, it's an, an important position coach. Because just the way that that relationship between the coach and the players and how all that works. Uh, so, you know, your offensive line coach, I mean, it's not like we got Johnny Latina here. So, <laughs> you know, are, yeah, I'm with you, Greg. I mean, I, I guess I got the same feeling as 
you know, why can't they be good? But I mean, I guess if I sat down, I guess I, re- <laughs> I can start rattling off about 20 reasons why, but, um, but you know, I expect more from them for sure. I mean, we're talking about, we're talking about if it doesn't work, it's coaching failure. Just that's all it is. They have, I mean, look at the, look at the star ratings on these guys. Like you, Kramer was a tw- like 28th ranked. Eichenberg was top 50 or something. You have Aaron Banks was top 200. You had Robert Hainsey who was top 100. And you have Jarrett Patterson who was a high four star. I mean, talent plus experience. I, I don't know. Plus you got a guy like Josh Lug backing up. I mean, I mean, I like, I like what they have in, in that too. I mean, I like yeah, that they, yeah. they can bring a guy in like Lug and they can move Banks out to tackle. I mean, they got, they have a game plan. I mean, we've right. already, we, we know what the game plan is for what if something happens and it seems pretty sound. So I, I, I guess I'm optimistic. Um, I just, I saw too many times last year, Dexter Williams bailing him out that I, that I'm still whole, I'm still a little scarred. Uh, Cause you know, we, we saw these huge, I mean, Jude and I talk about it all the time, like the fucking holes that they had in 2017 were ungodly. I mean, Monstrous. just no shit. Dion McIntosh was rushing, you know, for, <laughs> for all those yards because he was running, you know, running with nobody around him. Um, so, I, t- I, you know, they're not going to get back to that because, th- th- look, you know, Quentin Nelson is a once-in-a-generation talent. And to have both those guys on that side was just unheard of. But I think they can get more to what we're expecting. Um, you know, I guess we'll th- – that's one of those big – we're just going to have to see see that. You know, you got, I want to see how aggressive they are, how they fire off the ball. There was way too many false starts. Um you know, I mean, Hainsey, that's funny that he graded out as the best player. I remember Hainsey getting flagged like constantly. Um, it was ridiculous. I mean, I, I think he might have been the most penalized lineman um, last season. I, I I would have to check check stats, but seven, you know, his number came up quite a bit. Um, so, if you're if you're an opposing defensive end, which which uh, player in the Notre Dame offensive line would you least like to see pulling in your direction? Like Banks who puts the fear of God in you. Yeah, Banks, right? Eichenberg, because he's crazy as shit, and he's from Ohio. <laughs> and he's from Ohio, so I know he kicks ass. Banks is just yeah. Banks is just a mass of a human being that just hashtag like, Ohio forever, Jude. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll back you up on that bet. Yep, I'll back you up on that, Ohio. You know, look, crazy people. I'll, I'll I'll get it set up at some point. I'll get it set up. I'll get us up in South Bend. I'll get those guys padded up after they did their time at ND and they're getting ready for the draft. Like you know what? We just want run over. You guys do that real quick. I want to generate kind of like they did in Rocky Four when they're measuring, you know, how hard you know Drago's punching the bag. You know, we could put a sensor on us. Let's see it. And do I get to be Drago if he dies? He dies. Like what? When I see you get lifted out of the air by one of these dudes, I probably got about seventy-five pounds on you. So I know he would. So, I would definitely so be dead. I would. I could absorb the hit, and I'm in Ohio, so that makes a difference. I I could absorb the hit a little bit. I, I would fear for Banks falling on you. Hey, man, if Rudy could take it, take it. <laughs> <laughs> Judah get hit so hard, he'll become Mormon. <laughs> All right. Well, <clears throat> hey, guys, we're going to take a quick bake. Uh, yeah, bake if you want. You know, you want some fucking brownies or 
whatever we got lined up in the kitchen. Smoke if you got them. Yeah, you got it. So we're going to take a, uh, a quick break to uh, let the uh, you know, podcast business do its business. And uh, we'll be right back. And uh, we're going to quickly just pretend that there aren't tight ends. And we're going to move over to the defense. All righty, Roo. So uh, let's talk about something that, that we know is going to totally kick ass in 2019, defensive ends. My God, are we stacked. Um, I mean, where do we even begin? Do we begin with Julian Aquara and his quest for the, for the Outland Trophy? I mean, I, I mean, I, I, it's like I don't know what to say. Like he's, he, he's not really doing the spring, neither is Khalid Kareem. So there's nothing really to talk about with those guys. Like, we know what they are. Let's turn them loose. Like, turn them loose. Make sure they're healthy. I don't even want them to play, to be honest with you. Like, don't, no, even, no. Be, don't even be out there. I mean, aren't you more, you're more interested, and I think, I think we're on the same wavelength there. I'm more interested in seeing, you know, Ogan Deji, you know, Justin Abiola. I'm more interested in seeing those guys out there. And maybe, maybe a little bit more of Dalen, just to make sure that, He's where I want him to be, but the hell with his injury pass. I don't don't really want him, you know, doing anything stupid. Uh, but I mean, Ade is he's, he's finally, you know, we talked about this in a podcast a couple weeks ago. Jude and I did, where you know they finally got they finally got one. It's just like you know Janine and Ghostbusters. Yeah, we got one. <laughs> you know, they tried so fucking hard to get that project end with that you know with that length and that weight. I mean, just so a guy that could work in, and I think. Uh, maybe O'Malley or Priester wrote about it uh, this week. I didn't read the article, but I, I think I got the gist <laughs> from the t- I got the gist from the title, you know. Uh, I, I, they, most they, people, you know, something like it finally. Hey, I will read the article, all right. But I just didn't have it. I was too busy writing seven of my fucking own. Um, <clears throat> but uh, you know, doesn't it? I mean, it feels like hey, we got it. We got one here, right? Yeah, I mean, I, he's 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 looked good. He's looked real good. I mean, I, I, I think that between him and Dalen, and I, I want to see Ovi Agufu. That's who I'm interested yeah, in. Yeah, he's a, he's like, a hot me, name, hot name. Yeah, send me the guy who had the, who had the picture or, or the, the video of just throwing people all over the place. Yeah, that, I, that could – you're almost scared, though, right? Because, I mean, what if Ovi has a huge spring game? Like – is that the curse? I mean, we're, we're, all, we're, we're all waiting to find out which guy it is. Um, you know, hopefully it's not Jarrett Patterson uh, that, that gets the, you know, the junior jabby award. So it's going to be somebody. Um, I really hope it's not Ovi, even though he's like third string running right now. I, I have hopes for his future. Um, and it seems like he's just a, he's a hot commodity on that, on that roster. No, I'm, I'm ready to, I'm ready to lose my mind over the fifth, the fifth team or the fifth string defensive end. That's amazing. That's, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, look, it's never going to happen. I never, again. never thought we would get we would get to this it's point. It's never going to happen again. I'm all for it, man. Send us all the defensive ends. Greg, do you see a, a path for playing time for Jameer Jones this year? I think they already talked about that, didn't they? The, the, they're talking about uh, redshirting him, I guess. Um, I mean, there's a path. He he played last year. But I think that I think it's better for him. He could start next year because you have Khalid, you have uh, Aquara, and you have Dalen Hayes leaving. Right. 
I doubt uh, I doubt Ovi, however good he looks, is is ready to be the starting defensive end. It's probably Ade and Ade so and uh, Jameer next they, year. It, it could think, be Ade and Jameer. Do you think the staff could sell him on that? Uh, they did already. I think, but because <laughs> the the reason they can is because of the four game thing, right? It's like be ready to play in our four biggest games. What? Well, then that's the thing, though. I I had heard that point. Like, all right, we can use him in the four biggest games, but are, I mean, are, are they really? Or or can you get a lot of work out of him and rest, you know, and rest somebody else in for the lesser games? You know what I mean? So you, like, you know, like Khalid Kareem goes down. I'm running. You know, he goes down every game, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. So I mean, th- these guys, we we want to keep them healthy. Uh, so so do we use we use Jameer? I mean, how much would you use him in those big games compared to let's give, you know, let's give these, you know, let's give a guy a break for, you know, this game and get Jones a ton of playing time. But I mean, I get I, when you talk about selling it to him, that was one of the things you hear is, you know, you could at least sell him like, hey, if you're red shirt, but you're still going to play against Michigan, you're still going to play against USC. You know, that's a, like, all right, you know, I can do that. I mean, you're uh, still going to play, period. Yeah. You know, yeah. you don't have to. You don't have to sit on the scout team. You you can play. You're just not going to play in all of them. It's definitely the the one of the great things about that new rule, which is just fantastic, um, is is to allow that because that means that you know that rule means that Jameer Jones doesn't transfer, right? Right. Right. Not to say right. that he's looking around or like that, but that's one of those situations where a guy would get would start to think, well, hey, maybe you know, for a path to playing time, maybe I need to go look around to go somewhere else. Where a rule like this keeps those guys, you know, in place. Well, not to derail the conversation, but you know, now that please, we're at, I believe, I believe at the eighty-five man scholarship limit, is there, is there, do you think there's any other defections that we could expect after spring ball concludes here? Oh, I think there'll be one or two, maybe. Okay, at least one, maybe two. We're at the tail end of spring practice. Has anyone heard the name Corfi Wardlow? Oh my God, we talked about him in a previous podcast. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah, don't no, know. I don't know what his role is. Yeah, what does he do? Yeah, but I mean, that, he, gets I think, a, he gets a Notre Dame education. I think that's all, as far as I know. What, you know what he does. Some of these guys just aren't going to say it right now. You know, they're going to go through something and they're still in school. So regardless, so yeah. you know, I think you know, I, I still firmly believe Javon McKinley is going to be looking elsewhere. I, he's he. I, He'll graduate this summer. He'll have two years of eligibility. He has no path to playing time considering all the names in front of him. Why wouldn't he? You got your degree. Go, you know, you go to San Jose State and go play a couple years. So he, he's good enough to play somewhere. No, he's definitely got a talent. And he, yeah. he, he can keep his clothes on. Yeah. You, you ever seen his Instagram account, Greg? No. <laughs> <laughs> he, delete, he deleted all the pictures. Oh, but did he? They, oh, that's so sad. He did. I know. I was so disappointed. <laughs> like, I, I was so proud of him the way he, he had all that out. And then, uh, then they're gone. There was um, one night we screenshotted all of them and sent them to each other. That was, that was pretty funny. So, yeah, what he did with the Citrus Bowl trophy is legendary. Mm. Okay. But, <laughs> and probably also legal in 12 states. Well, he was in, he was in the Bible Belt down there in Florida. So, it's true. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think definitely, you know, Kofi is definitely a name for sure. Uh, I think McKinley's one. And, you know, there could be, 
I hate, you know, I hate to say it, but you know, Derek Allen, even I just as oh. a guess, not a guess, but just like, just listening to what, you know, Clark Lee said today that someone asked him about, they gave him Derek Allen's measurements and said, is that a measurement you normally want for safety? And he said, no. So it's kind of like, does Derek get frustrated enough to want to move on? Cause I got kind of feel that that's, that that's coming on now. Um, I, I don't know. I, and I'm not saying that there's anything to that. So don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I just, there's, I think there's a, a lot more possibilities whether how close they are to actually doing it or not. I don't know, but I, I, I still think there's, you know, he, I, I he's not in the Kofi Wardlow category, right. uh, but he's, he's definitely moving, not necessarily trending, but maybe like sliding down some mossy, you know, that little, that little slope in your yard, you know, when you're mowing, that's lost. Maybe you got a little slip there. Um, I don't know. I'm backtracking a little bit on that, but regardless, I, I still think that that's a name that we're still going to need to watch because of what they're doing body size, you know, with these bodies and moving them around. And just, there's just so many fucking linebackers. I mean, even when Asmar is gone next year, you still got a, a large mass of players, uh, you know, next year. Um, even if you wanted to move, Derek up. I, so, I hate to say it. Uh, that name came to my mind too. Oh, really? Oh man. I, I think he's, a, got, a, he's got, he's got one more spring. He has to, he has to see how it goes when Elliot and Gilman move on. The All knock right? on well, him is there's just, is no explosion off of, with his game. Wait, I'm a, why are, like, how are you? He- how are you heavy? Especially like with, with the, the strength program they have now. And I think I, I read somewhere that, or I heard somewhere that um, Bayless was going to make him his personal project, and he's heavy. Mm. How is that possible? There's only one solution. Like, there's only one answer. You're just not putting it in. It's a concern. I hate to say it because I love that's, that guy. That's but. what I'm saying. So at least I'm not alone in the wilderness. I got Greg with me. Uh, we don't wow. got a flashlight, but we know where <laughs> we we know where we're at. And there, um, there may be bears out here, but it's not gonna. It's not. I don't think it happens this year, but next spring, yeah. I would be. I would be yep. concerned. That's that is my exact thought as well. So it, yeah. it's it's definitely one to watch. Definitely need to track his playing time this year. Yeah, see what, ha- see what happens. Maybe he shows up at fall camp. I mean, it's a long. It is a long path from the end of spring ball to beginning of, of fall camp. A guy can change his body in either direction you know, a lot in, you know, in that time frame. Um, I mean, look, look at, look at where Jalen was this year, last year at this time. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. He, he, he people, we, we did he not He wasn't like even him. the starter halfway through fall fucking practice. He, he, I didn't think he was going to start the week of Michigan. Yeah. And there he was. So, you don't know. You're right. We're we're just a bunch of guys sitting around uh, <laughs> our computers. I I'm, you know, whatever. It's late. The fact Everybody's, that it is, I thought of we're him. all screwed you up. Thought of him. It's this. We're we're right. Yeah, we're, 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 it's okay that we think. Look, I've been. I mean, I, I'm not sure how long you've been watching. You've been following Notre Dame football, like in in this manner, the way we we do it now with the websites. You know, I've been doing it for 12 years, and there's signs to follow. This is, he's got all the signs. I mean, I'm not, I'm not making this shit up. I'm not saying that anyone has said anything that because that isn't the case. But there, there are certain players that 
you put a, a microscope on because, you know, they fit all these characteristics of the guys who eventually have to leave. Um, or, you know, and if they don't, it's either they don't, if they don't leave, they're sitting there on the bench and you're still asking him, asking about him after his junior year. Like it's, is it now or never for him? I mean, right. and that's the case. So actually UHND.com has a good now or never series that they put in publish every spring. And that's exactly why I said it. Edit this out. <laughs> we don't edit shit out because we're not that cool. Uh, just drop it, drop, drop it a little for you there, Greg. Hey, um, all right. So let's let's move it inside. Uh, I, I didn't know where the hell we we're talking. Because um, you said, Jude, you said you were going to take it off the rails, and you fucking did. <laughs> oh, you are you are Percy. Thinking you need to find oh, a new friend. Oh, unfair. unfair. Listen, listen, my Greg youngest today. Greg My youngest today to said that said that, hey dad, you be Thomas, I'll be Percy, and I about lost my damn mind. I said, Ooh. you can be at least Toby. And he goes, No, Toby's a girl. I'm like, God, gotta get the forget Percy. Forget him. Wow. Like the worst train ever. Yeah, worst. All right. <laughs> God, God, I just Greg, Greg, were your kids into Thomas at all? No, they don't like Thomas the train. They're bubble guppies. Oh, bubble gubbies are good. But yeah. I, I thought for a second you were going to say something about Chuggington, and I was going to do delete. <laughs> we had no guests this week. Nope, nope. That was, I don't know who the fuck that was. He's dead to me. What in the world is a bubble guppy? Oh, uh, dude, they got some dope ass songs, man. Dude, don't get oh, me started. Must have missed me. I don't know. I haven't seen that one. Got a bunch of bones inside oh, me. No. Keep going. Oh, this I will just off the podcast. Oh, yeah, just <laughs> sign me up. Things are getting things are about got to a get whole bunch of bones, <laughs> and everyone knows. No one asked for this. No one, but they got it, didn't they? Yes, they did. Fools, fools for listening to this podcast. <laughs> so maybe, Heinish. maybe now you'll comment and give us some fucking feedback. Kurt <laughs> so is awesome. Eye black. Let's talk about that. Yeah, let's move inside to the defensive tackles of the Hog Mollies. Hey, you know, I'm really happy with with having Kurt Heinish and with uh, having MTA. I'm not going to say his last name. Um, Tunga Vailoa. No, don't, don't. Let's not do it. Let, let's not make ourselves sound. Bad because we're just gonna screw it up every time. It's MTA. We'll, we'll, we can only type it out. We're like, we're like, uh, what's his face in Legends of the Fall? Anthony Hopkins. We're gonna have to write that on the fucking chalk. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm pretty, pretty damn comfortable. I mean, these guys played right away their freshman year and showed out. You know, unfortunately, MTA got hurt, wasn't able to do it. But Heinrich put in a lot of good time last year. Um, but I mean, the the big knock is that we just don't have. The rotation, you know, it's that we had. I mean, not to say that there aren't somebody. I mean, we got Jason Admiola. You know, there's been some good talk about him, but I mean, overall, and you know, injuries are are hurting these guys really bad. You know, with Jacob Lacey, Jamie and Franklin, Hunter Spears, Hunter Spears. Yeah, the big question last time. Um, so I mean, our and I've been, I've been asking the same question, and I love it. How scared are we? <laughs> I'll be scared if any of those first four get hurt, which they will. So I'll be scared then. <laughs> okay, it, which, I mean, by which I, game? <laughs> by, I mean, whenever, whenever, whenever it happens. I, I like all four of them. I like, 
I, I mean, I don't know what to make of Lacey. I've never seen him play. Um, but I mean, none of these are guys, really high on him. They, none yeah, of these guys bring about him. None of these guys bring to the table. I mean, not, I really, I can say this with some authority. None of these guys bring anything to the table close to what Jerry, Jerry Tillery brought, though, right? I mean, we're talking about Our all first that round NFL draft pick. No. Yeah, yeah. I not mean, at this point, at least. So that, so that, that's not a good thing. <laughs> That's well, not, you could you could have made that same knock about the offensive line, other than brought to the table what Quentin Nelson and Mike McClinchy brought to the table. You know, so right? Like, it, but but you know, to prove that point though, we we saw that though we saw poor line play last year, uh, backed up by some weird offensive line advanced stats that a guy like me who runs his head in the fucking wall doesn't really understand. But you know, they're not good. Um, and you know, just watching it, you could, you you saw a huge difference. So yeah, see that same same level of difference inside uh you know there at the three technique then our competent linebacking core will clean it all up come on oh god we still haven't even talked about linebackers yet this podcast (laughs) is gonna this podcast is gonna last two more hours everybody go get it go get a drink jude just man up (laughs) that's what i was gonna say think about all those times that you were talking to me and i'm like yeah i've been up like 36 fucking hours just channel me for a minute i will send you my energy Oof. We brought Why does it taste like blueberry line? Red Bull? Oh, man. Like six of them. <laughs> we brought up the offensive line, but we had Dexter behind to take care of everything. And now I don't know who we have behind these D tackles to take care of stuff. Neither does anyone else. Graduate I mean, student I, Asmar Bilal, obviously. Oh, man. oh boy. I, I, I mean, is anybody buying Asmar to Mike? I mean, I mean, I got I got made fun of for saying it a couple weeks ago. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry, Brad. We totally, we totally ripped on you for that. Yeah. So like, I I tried this once already. Sorry. No, we. I'm. We know I you can't believe this is where we are. I can't. I cannot. I cannot believe this is where we are. <laughs> We're at line at middle linebacker. I mean, yeah. we, I, I think we were believe. all pretty sold to like John Jones and Bo Bauer stepping up. All right. And then they're like not even in the discussion at all. Everyone's talking like Bo Bowers too much of a throwback. No one knows what happened to Jonathan Jones. Well, what about Asmar like, over there? Hell, now we're gonna move Shane Simon over there. It's like what right. the hell? Is- Do you remember like Steve Whitfong like creaming his jeans over Shane Simon? I was like the next incarnation he, of like Jalen Smith or somebody. You know, he said he was gonna start. Yeah, yeah. But now he's Mike. He's at Mike. He's at Mike, and they're and they moved him inside because they were worried about that he was not being in space. It, look, there's a reason why we all think Clark Lee is a high school math teacher. <laughs> it's because of things like that. Like, I don't quite understand what he's doing. I'm just going to have to trust that he knows what he's doing. Um, and I guess I'm just leaving it at that. I mean, I think, I call, think this call is, it blind think, faith, but I, I think what they've been doing all spring is he is, he's got his fucking algorithm or whatever the hell he's doing. It's definitely probably better than what anything Brian Van Gorder had going on. I mean, this may be the story of Saturday's game is the communication or maybe lack thereof in the linebacking core. And if it looks really sloppy, then people are going to be freaking out. But, you know, to to Greg's point, too, about backing up, at least the linebackers are being backed up by Aloe Gilman and Jalen Elliott, which we I don't know how much we're going to see of them on Saturday. But uh, but then Phil Dracovic is and killing him over the top, right? I thought we agreed to just say Phil. <laughs> Sorry. Phil the backup. 
fill the backup. Fill the backup. <laughs> just like it's it's uh, when Harrison Leonard lacrosse bro kicker lacrosse comes bro, on board, yeah. it's always just Harrison Leonard lacrosse bro kicker or just lax bro kick. I will say this about the linebackers. I think I think Owusu Karamura is good, and I think Jack Lamb is good, and I think um, Genmar Keith will eventually be good. Is it Genmar Keith or Genmar? I think it's Genmar Keith. Genmar Keith. Is it GIF or JIF? JIF. <laughs> Are we talking about Jordan, peanut butter or <laughs> Jordan the backup? Um, Jordan I th- I think the th- I think th- I think those three guys are good. Everything else, I have no idea. But at least, at least two of the three positions will be filled by players that, you know, are good at what they're doing. This is, this is my number one storyline for Saturday. I'm just very, very curious about what the linebacking core looks like and who's out where and, and if they're communicating with each other and what kind of pressure they're putting on the, the safeties to bail them out, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I'll side with Josh on this one. I think uh, I'm trusting Clark Lee because he's running multiple regressions, whereas BVG just never got past his P value. So yeah, I, I think we're good. That's uh, solid. I think I think we'll see. This is definitely well. We're just gonna have to see this thing working in real time, right? Like, like you know, even in the practice and all that, it's, it's just none of that equals out to what you know, at least a full scrimmage is going to show, you know, 11 on 11 in practice isn't quite ex- the same as, as full go uh, scrimmage. So I'll play uh, a, buck, uh, buckle I'll play up devil for a second on Clark Lee and his, his Pythagorean uh, theorem <laughs> genius. Um, why is it then that, you know, Jonathan Jones has been with him for now three oh, years. Yeah. And Bo Bauer has been with him for, you know, as long as he, he was an early enroll. So this is his second spring. So why aren't, I have a, I have why, an easy why answer for that. Better? I have an yeah, easy answer for that. You ready? Yeah. He didn't, he didn't recruit them. These aren't, I mean, this, this he, is, he recruited, this he is, recruited Bo Bauer. <clears throat> I think that was only because he was what was left. Right. Wasn't Bo, what, Bo Bauer had committed to Notre Dame before Mike Elko and I, I, I think. No, he's, he's last season. No. And, and yeah, Jordan yeah, Jenmark yeah, Keith was – Jordan Jenmark Keith came after, after um, they came on. Yeah, he was late. He was a late signing for he sure. Was. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, no, no, Jenmark no, Keith was a late signing for sure. But see, that, I guess that's to my point. Was if you remember, you know that first year that Elko and and um, and Lee got there, there was a mad rush for linebackers, and they had just like turned down some. I mean, the linebacker recruiting had been odd as it is. They right. were they weren't going after some guys we thought they should. They were going after late guys. Then there's they just keep putting more guys in there. Uh, mm-hmm. So I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, sometimes guys just don't pan out. You know the the thing with Bauer is that he'll run through a fucking brick wall, but you know he's just not as good in space. And what Clark said today, you know, in his uh, you know his press conference was like in today's day, in today's game, every position out there needs to be able to operate in space a little better. Right. And he's not speaking specifically about Bauer, but at the same time, that's exactly what what he's doing. Um, 
So, I mean, you know, sometimes guys just don't pan out. We do shit, Greg. You know that from just follow recruiting. Sometimes a guy, a four star, just Dar- Darnell Ewell. <laughs> you know, Mike, I think oh Mike, my Elson, God. Mike Elson is a, is a great uh, defensive line coach. I, I mean, I believe he's gotten a hell of a lot out of his defensive line over the years. And, you know, Darnell Ewell, who's a highly rated, they went after him. And the, from like day one, he was basically relegated to the scout team. Right. So it is, it is what it is. Um, I mean, I trust the guy. I just, you know, it's a data point against. That's all. Oh, no, for certainly. Fair I point. Mean, yep. I, I he, he would appreciate those data points. So if you can <laughs> mail, mail those to Clark Lee, <laughs> he will probably put, punch them into uh, to his computer there. Uh, <clears throat> all right, so l- let's go out to the edge there. Uh, we're going to kind of speed this along a little bit. Cornerbacks, I think, we're, I think we're, everyone's kind of sitting okay with Troy Pride. And I think we're solid as far as depth chart-wise. Houston Griffiths place there uh, on the boundary. Not so many good things said about Houston <laughs> uh, the last last few weeks. Uh, pretty much every report about him has been terrible. I mean, not, not just not good, you know, bad. So how much of a concern is that? I mean, because we're looking at, you know, they're talking about Sean Crawford. You know, there's, there's a, there is a mess there at corner for only having replacing the great, one of the greatest corners in Notre Dame history. Um, but doesn't it seem like a, that's a, a, there's nothing there, right? Like we're looking at that, like somehow there's nothing there, even though there's bodies. The defense I would say for Houston, and I don't know, like I don't go to any practices, so I don't know that this is true, but he's the boundary corner and they move Chase Claypool to Boykin's position, which is the boundary receiver. So if he's going against Claypool all the which time, is the, which is the case, yeah, I could see him getting the short end of that stick a lot. And frankly, it's probably good for him. Um, I haven't heard that caveat though from like the people reporting on it, so I'm not sure. But if that's the case, maybe I'm going to be a little bit less concerned just because Claypool's having a great spring and he's a senior now, so. You know, that's the only thing about. Hey, I like I like that take. I'll, well, I'll, take, <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. We we always do this with the blue gold game, right? Which is if the offense tor- torches the defense, does the defense suck or is the offense great, right? And we don't really know until they go up against a Georgia in week two or a Michigan, you know, or some high caliber team where you're just like, okay, the reason that they were torching the defense was not so much that the defense sucked, but the, the receiving core was awesome like like elite right so um that's always when you see guys get beat up by possibly great talents on the other side of the ball do you just say well respect is due or do you say "Uh oh like this is a nick coleman 2016 versus texas where i'm like i have absolutely no confidence that this guy could stop anyone at this point i mean claypool and book should be a still freshman corner right yeah that should happen yeah, that, that shouldn't be like the – that shouldn't be an even battle. Right. You know, that shouldn't go like, you know, one after another. You're absolutely right. I don't know. I still have faith. He, he's a top 100 player, top 75 player. He takes it very seriously. Um, you know, I, I think by the fall, I have a little bit more faith. 
I'm a little bit worried that they put him in so much press coverage just because he doesn't seem like that type of player. It seems like he should be playing off like they did with Julian Love because then he can come up and support the run, which is one of his biggest strengths. But, so uh, I mean, where's your where's your faith in the nickel with Avery Davis right now? Who seems <laughs> he seemingly in the spring? I won't. I don't want to say he has won the position, but he's first man up uh, apparently at the nickel. How are you? How, and I don't believe he played that in high school. And Josh, in I, I, I would prefer if you referred to him as future NFL cornerback Avery Davis. Would... <laughs> I don't know if I, I mean, can manage that. I, I, I'm I'm not there yet, and I. And I'm usually a guy that's all about these, like I just certain intricacies of them, and I'm rooting for them the whole time, you know, to do it because I want it to succeed. And for whatever reason, I just I can't buy it. Not I mean I just I I don't know what I'm gonna look looking for on Saturday, but I'm looking for something, and I'm looking right at Avery Davis, who has been a hot name on that roster with very little to show for it for a couple of years now. And by the way, this is probably why Chris Fink is having himself an incredible spring. <laughs> <laughs> yes. When they say embarrassing people out there. Yeah, like, of course, he's a quarterback. A- Avery Davis slowly raises his hand. So, and I just, I, I just don't know what the hell we're going to do at nickel. I was petrified when Crawford went down, you know, last year. I mean, I wrote probably five or six stories about it at least. And I'm like, this is fucking important. That's a huge position for the defense. And we're still sitting in that kind of space right now. You know, and it seems like it should be a little better situation. And yet we're not. I don't understand how they've recruited one nickel in in since 2015. Well, they whiffed on a whole, they whiffed at corner for a whole cycle. So, I mean, it's... I guess that that'd be my best answer is that that's why that's how. But uh, I mean, they recruited five last year, right? And the, their numbers it. are up. Their numbers are up. Yeah, yeah. None of them can play it. I mean, is it? Do you think they put too much on the neck? Let's see. I mean, like Sean Crawford seems like he can run it because Sean Crawford knows what the fuck. Um, do you, do you just think it boils down to these guys just don't have enough? You're just not a, you have to be an experienced player because Houston did not, Houston Griffith did not look good no. at the nickel last year. I, I mean, mean the thing had, with, go ahead. Well, the, the thing with Crawford is like he played it in high school. Right. It, yeah. And, sa- and same with Julian. He, he, won, he won that his freshman year. Yeah. So, uh, at, him and, like, love was the answer. And they never wanted to put him there. And that's fine. Like, I get it because no one could catch any passes from where he was. So, that's, that's fine. I'm not criticizing it. But, those are the two guys that I saw that actually played nickel in high school. All these other guys are just playing on the outside. Well, let me ask you guys this. Does, it, would this, does this scenario make sense, or do you think it's feasible? A healthy Dante Vaughn, who, was suffer, who suffered oh. a torn labrum last year and was playing with one arm, who was hip-to-hip with the guys like Justin Ross. I mean, the, he had decent positioning but couldn't position his body to make a play. Hell, even one time he did make a play. They just made a better one. But do you think a healthy Dante Vaughn could step into that boundary role and then Houston slides with a – Houston could slide back over to nickel if Sean Crawford is unable to really go-go? I mean, 
Does that sound like a plausible scenario? Sounds like it's worth trying. I mean, the guy that came in for Julian Love was who was fucking injured with a torn labrum was Dante Vaughn. Yeah. That was in your that was in your playoff game. So I always they, the I staff always seems Dante. like they have a lot of faith in Dante. He's played quite. I mean, he's been playing he's since tall. his freshman year. He's oh, tall, he's got tall. great size. He's got great, yeah, size. great size. Do you remember that pick he made his freshman year against Duke? I mean, like his only uh, pick. Yeah. Yeah, but it was good, right? No, like, it was it was excellent. It was everything everything we always scream about, like turn back and look for the ball, you know. And he like he, I don't know, his timing was perfect, and it just not, like he had great wingspan and great length and everything, and just yeah, the knock know. on Vaughn has just been to stay healthy. Right, I mean, his entire time at Notre Dame has been plagued with injuries. But I mean, I know how bad we ragged on on him. I mean, not me personally because I understood the situation. Uh, but other bastards out there in the Twitter sphere, um, you know how bad he was ragged on about the Clemson game. Yet I'm telling you, you go back and watch that. He wasn't lost. He wasn't like this. Wasn't like uh, like Preston Jackson, you know, getting schooled. Uh, you know, he, he was he was able, he was in a position to make a play. And I just don't think he was physically able to because of the injury to make the kind of play that was needed. I, I don't think I'm crazy. Um, I, I mean, I haven't been checked lately, but I, I just think that that's more of a – I think that's more of a scenario when they talk about guys coming back in these press conferences that are going to be on the t- – guys on the team. Everyone thinks they're alluding always to Kyle Hamilton. Second, but I think Dante Vaughn's a big piece, and he's back on the field not taking contact right now, but he's made accelerated – I just think I think Dante Vaughn is going to be a bigger part of this defense, or could be a big, could be if healthy, um, than any most people are leading on there. I think I think it's I think what you're saying about Dante Vaughn taking the boundary spot is is valid, and it could happen. Um, like Drew Tranquil talked a lot of uh, last year about like playing with injury as a skill, and maybe Vaughn wasn't ready for that especially with a shoulder, you know? Um, I mean, Bennett Jackson did it. He had the same strap, but it's just a different thing. Like some players, it's hard to play with an injury. I think he, I think so. I could see him taking that spot. Um, I think, I wonder if what ultimately would happen is if they would move Houston back to safety and they would move Gilman down to play nickel. They had, well, they, they actually uh, moved Elliot to nickel. During practice, oh Jalen Elliott, yeah, they've moved Elliott okay. down down nickel. They've they had um, uh, basically Gilman and uh, and DJ Brown back there at safety, and have moved Elliott up to to nickel, um, which makes sense, uh, I guess in a way. Um, so I I think I mean I just like we we keep mentioning. I mean Clark Lee just I just think he's. He's too smart for his own good. Not too smart. I'm not gonna say he's too smart for his own good, but he's smarter than me. Okay, so he's making a lot of, a lot of these moves. <laughs> he's making a lot of these moves. That's that a low just, bar to clear. I know it's fucking ridiculously <laughs> low. There's just all these moves that are like layered for reasons, you know. And only he and the staff know the exact reasons why they're doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a kid could be doing, could be drawing a picture, and I don't know what the fuck they're drawing. It ends up being a house and a mom and a dog. You're like, oh yeah. But the way he d- went about it was different. I just think 
the way Clark Lee's going about it might confuse me a little bit. It's just, there's a lot of a lot more moving pieces there that I would expect is all, is basically what I'm saying. All given caveats to how smart Clark Lee is, but one of the one of the most baffling things last year. So you think year Clark was, Lee's smarter than me? <laughs> hey, you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> there's nobody on this podcast that'll disagree with you on that. <laughs> um, one of the most baffling things that happened last year was how they handled Nichols. Like, I don't understand why they ever took Nick Coleman off of it. He had been playing well, and then he was just gone. And then they put him in against Florida State. He played well against Florida State. He played well um, against Syracuse. He played well against USC. So I didn't understand why they took him off that. They, they didn't handle Nickel very well last year. You're right. They didn't handle Nick Coleman, hashtag Ohio, very well at all. <laughs> so, yeah, so I don't. I don't really understand. Like, it's fine. You know, he's smarter than us, and that's great. But just looking at what their behavior was and how they handled it, like, it wasn't handled very well. And now they've got a quarterback there. So, I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 trust, I trust Elliott and or Gilman a lot more than I would Houston Griffith again. Because he did not – he never looked comfortable. And, right. I mean, there's been talk about – you know, Kyle Hamilton playing that spot. I would rather they put Hamilton back there at safety now, actually. Because um, I, I thought that's actually a great idea. But then it's like I would rather they had an experienced guy playing the position that's obviously very important. Have him be in the back and have, a, a, you know, a senior next to him who can kind of run things back there and then have someone closer to line of scrimmage who's also a senior. Well, I think you hit the nail with a – with a giant fucking axe um, right there. I, I think, I think maybe the, the side plan is a, is a scenario with Kyle Hamilton where they move, they do move Jalen Elliott up to play nickel and slide Hamilton back to play that safety when they go to nickel. You know what I mean? Where yeah. I mean, you, you just said it. So you, obviously you do know what I mean. Where that's how you get, how you take care of that situation. And I think all that just depends on what really is going on with Sean Crawford. Is he really going to be able to, you know, because a healthy Sean Crawford or even an 80% Sean Crawford is going to give you more than any of those fucking guys that we just mentioned at nickel. But how? But for how long, though, too? How long can you get 80% Sean Crawford for the first six games? You know, you know even in, when he was healthy in 2017 for the, the season, he wasn't really healthy. He even talked about how bad his body wore down throughout the season. So I, it's, it's definitely – it's definitely a little bit scary. Uh, they're going to play a lot of nickel. Um, there's a lot of teams on the roster. Michigan's one I'm looking at right now where I feel we're going to be in nickel, you know, 60% of the, of the game. Unless mm-hmm. Harbaugh goes totally bow again and just like, ah, I brought it on third and 12. Uh, but, <laughs> all right, so we've mentioned – so we've talked about the safeties already. In earnest, I mean, we have no real concerns, right? Like we're solid. Alohi Gilman, Jalen Elliott, probably both up for captaincy, right? I mean, can you yep. imagine the last time we've had two returning safeties of of that kind of caliber? I mean, when, really, when was the last time we had two two safeties of that caliber back there? I mean, Jerome Sapp and Glenn Earl. Oh wow! I mean, what do you think of? I, I mean, I love those really guys. Think, I mean, Bruton and McCarthy. 
Those are two don't bring up, you don't bring up McCarthy on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Sergio Brown was wasted for four fucking years because of McCarthy. Who had the longer NFL career? Who is most athletic? Who does a fucking Ric Flair? Woo! Better than anybody else on that team. Sergio Brown, the ultimate Subway Domer people's champ. We don't bring up McCarthy's name ever. If, if I know you... he's hashtag he's hashtag Ohio. I you moved to Michigan. <laughs> hey Jude, Jude, this wasn't in the show notes, man. You, you gotta you gotta help yeah. me out with that. Yeah. Hey, when you go when you come on here, you get all of me. <laughs> we actually had a prop bet about how how long it would take you to step on the Kyle McCarthy landmine, and uh, I took the I took the over one hour, so I think I just won. So I'm I'm fucking shaking over here. <laughs> <laughs> the hair on my arms would like break in half. The goosebumps are fucking flying so bad because it's Sergio Brown. Uh, all right. <laughs> so speaking of Sergio to- Brown, he he'd be a good for this team. <laughs> oh, hell yeah, I would. I take Harrison Smith, too. <laughs> <laughs> who, I mean, who was back there at safety with, with Smith the last year? Was it... Uh, Bruton? No. 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 In 2011? Uh, yeah. It wasn't, wasn't 2010. It Zeke Mata. 2010. Yeah, it was Zeke Mata. Because Harrison oh. Smith got Zeke Mata drafted. Yeah. I was going to say Jamora Slaughter, but I don't remember. Uh, well, Slaughter... Slaughter was back there with Harrison in 2009. Oh okay. no, it was 2010. It was 2010. I I, I don't know. If he Slaughter played. Slaughter game, played a lot of that nickel, a lot of the nickel too. He he moved right, up. Yeah. Oh, but and did a hell of a job too. He's probably the best nickel we've had. They all get hurt. To him, Sean Crawford, they all get hurt. Torn Achilles, man. Yeah. All right, so I'm gonna quickly move to this because I made the dumb choice to um to actually ask people for questions again. And we normally don't, I don't know why we like all these people, all these people visit the site, right? Nobody has a question. And then all of a sudden, you know, you, they have some ridiculous question about Hunter Spears. We answer that one. So, <laughs> by, by the way, I think Lauren on our staff would be the most likely to survive a dinosaur attack. I'm just going to put that out there right now. So to answer that question, a dinosaur attack, oh, cause that's yeah. the first question. Cause she's is the most legit- like, I feel like I don't know her very well, but I think she's like cagey or whatever. And I just think she would hide very well. And I don't think the Raptors would sniff her out that fast. But maybe so the, qu- the question is, if the OFD staff was trapped in a park containing resurrected dinosaurs, who would live and who would be Raptor food? And I mean, I'm just you, gonna- and, you and Matt Green are Raptor food for sure, no. right? Oh, I'm fucking stealthy. But I will – but listen, I will die – because I wear the fucking C on my chest, and I'm taking one for the fucking team. So, goddammit, you better fucking light a candle for me, because I just got swallowed up with a teeth in my fucking neck for you. So, so I think uh, we sufficiently answered that question. I, th- I, think Brad, we- I think Brad would survive the most, because Brad hides out in class all day. Well, here's my question. How do we get on that island in the first place? Like, do I know that's where we're going? Because I'm not getting on that plane. Maybe Pat has a boat. Brad, I saw. I think Brad, I saw a picture of Pat on a boat. The answer is <laughs> the answer is always Jack Swarbuck's tricked us into it. Okay, that's that's okay, always so the I get, answer. I get tricked into it. That makes sense because I'm not yeah. going to that fucking island. It's probably the Illuminati pulling the strings on the back end. At- I'm not going near a alligator, the- let alone a fucking dinosaur. Come on. 
We're going to touch into the New World Order and Notre Dame next podcast, but we'll move on. Um, so, basically, who I don't know. There's There'll be a huge pileup. Uh, the dinosaurs are going to eat us all at one point. All right. Um, someone was asking about Kevin Austin. Uh, is he doing the little things that will get him out of the doghouse? Uh, yes and no. Uh, he doesn't seem to be completely in the doghouse, but he might have a – might be sitting on top of it like Snoopy. Maybe? Hey, Greg, Greg, correct me if I'm wrong, but the practice reports about Kevin Austin have been almost almost all positive, right? He's doing the big things to get himself out of the doghouse. He's not doing the little things. The little – yep, that's that's the best answer. That's why we got you on, Greg. Thank you. God damn. Awesome. <laughs> um, is Kramer faster now, and will he pull with conviction? Um, <laughs> I, Jesus. Cosmo Kramer or Tommy Kramer? <laughs> Uh, that's your that's your conviction scale. I'm gonna say he's I'm gonna say he's convicted. Um, but uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I, yeah, Kramer looks a lot better this spring. I mean, he, he does he does, and uh, we expect better things from him. Lindsey Keys or both? Uh, I think we're I think we're a pro Keys uh, podcast right here tonight because of Greg, right? I I say Keys. Start the I, fan club now, Greg. Get the t-shirts I, made. I, yeah, I want to say Lindsay. I think that's my that's my that's my thought. Okay, I, this is gonna be the last question. I don't even know if we have more, but um, suppose you are eighteen and facing the choice of attending Notre Dame or oh this. This God. goes back to dad life episode. This is uh, tough. Dude. This is a tough question. Yeah, that's why I'm asking it. Uh, and I think okay, I don't know who this is. Okay, you're 18, you're facing the choice of attending Notre Dame or an upper-tier state school like a Miami, Ohio, in your home state. Then so, you don't go to Eastern Michigan. So, suppose further that the total cost of attendance at Notre Dame is 35 grand more per year than the state school. One, is it worth it? Two, if yes to one, how high can the 35 grand difference increase still be worth it? Three, if no to one, is Jackie Young's decision this week a significant, significant factor in your answer? What? All right. So, did we just did we specify what kind of degree we're trying to earn here? No, there's no there's no specification. I mean, because going to finance Notre Dame as as a film, television, and theater major, I can tell you that (laughs) paying the extra thirty five thousand dollars probably isn't going to be the return on investment that having a business degree from the Mendoza College of Business is going to be, right? So, absolutely. And and I bet you Notre Dame has all sorts of research on what the um, starting salary is for uh, MCOB graduates and over or over the 10-year lifespan or the first 10 years or whatever and stuff like that. So you could probably pretty easily do that number. I think it gets weird. I mean, just guessing, not looking at any hard numbers. I think it gets weird if you're starting to pay 50 grand more a year. I mean, you're talking about some serious loans that you're going to have to pay back. So I would say that the number can't get much higher than $35,000. I don't know yeah. how Jackie Young plays into this, to be honest with you. I think Jackie yeah, Young made the exact right decision. And I, and I think that, you know, Jackie Young getting hurt her, her senior year of, of college doesn't know nobody any good. And I think when you heard Jackie Young speak the other night, she said, I had to make a decision that was best for me and for my family. Okay. So that's all you, it's all you need to know. Uh, I think she made a, I think she made a perfectly fine decision. And I, I don't, I don't know how the first two questions play into that. Yeah. I, I think he was just trying to have some fun. Like, okay. are you sad? Is Jackie Young leaving? 
Well, well, that's, can, that's the way I would put it, I suppose. I mean, did, did Jackie Young get her degree or did Jackie Young not get her degree? I don't know, but I would think Jackie Young would be in the high percentage of people that left early for sports that would end up getting her degree anyways, right? Yeah, I mean, it stands to reason, right? But I don't know. Has Joel Lloyd gotten her degree? I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I really don't know. We don't track women's basketball players nearly as much as we track football players, right? So All I think... Right. Right. So if, if I were, if I were Jackie Young and I had a successful eight year WNBA, you know, overseas career or whatever, and now my time is done and I'm 29 years old, um, then I go back when I'm 29 and finish my last year of college and finish it up and, and have an Notre Dame degree. I don't the think a- that's a, the average salary for a WNBA player is 71 grand a year. The highest paid player makes 95 grand a year. Um, so I yeah, mean, no, but your starting salary, your starting salary coming out of Notre Dame is roughly like what, like like around fifty. But there's money to be made overseas too. Don't don't right. forget these ladies and, play and overseas and, as well. And it, well, that's just your contract for playing too. I mean, you have right. endorsements. Right. I mean, we don't think of WNBA being like endorsement heavy, but within those markets, um, they'll definitely. Yeah, she'll definitely make money marketing. No, you know, no problem. I mean, this she isn't a, a Sky Diggins brand situation, I don't think, but you'll definitely she'll definitely make money on the side uh, doing it. I mean, you're in Vegas. You're you're in a, you're in the city of money with the yeah. best fucking team I, name imaginable, the Aces. Yeah, I, I just I, I think that even at fifty one or seventy one thousand dollars a year or whatever, plus whatever she can get overseas, um, you know, look, she'll make plenty of money. She can save some of it, get use it last for, to pay for her last year of college if she hasn't already gotten her degree. Um, but it's the answer to the person's question. I you know, it depends on what degree you get, but I don't, I don't think you want to go too much more over thirty five thousand dollars difference because, you know, like if you want to be a school teacher, like it, going in her name is 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 it's great for conversation, but it's not going to get you any more money uh, to start off than then going to Miami, whatever. Go to Eastern Michigan. Yeah. Great teacher school. All right. So we're going to end it there. Um, anyone got anything else to say? I, I, I really am out. I'm out of gas. Greg, you got, got any last, uh, we, we usually do a, you know, a parting shot, say whatever the hell you want. Um, I, I pretty much have said more than I probably should. Uh, so we'll uh, hand it over to the guests for the first one. Do you got anything else to add here? No, I just want to say uh, thanks for having me on. You know, Absolutely. I, yeah, like Jude is, I want to say Jude is the first person who from like the, the Notre Dame network of blogs or whatever, who like followed me on Twitter. And I thought that was really cool just cause I was like a guy, a guy who like started writing stuff like four years ago, no background in it or anything, not an alumnus. So I, I always appreciated that. And I, I appreciate, you know, you guys having me on your podcast. Fantastic. Um, Greg's not going to promote himself, but also I'll do it for him. Greg can be found <laughs> on Twitter at Greg2126, which I think were his numbers during high school football. Is that right? 2126? Uh, high school was 21, 26 was junior college. Dude, there I was go. 26. We're, we're oh, all man. You're my, you're my fucking dog, man. <laughs> uh, Greg also has a podcast worth listening to called the Untitled Notre Dame USC podcast that he does with his friend Michael Muto, who is a USC fan. I, I got to be honest, when I first heard about it, I was like, the fuck, I want to listen to this. Uh, why do I want to hear a guy talk about USC? Um, but the cool thing that I like about the podcast is they watch each other's games. And I think Greg's got a lot of good insight about what's going on with USC. 
And, um, and Michael can also provide a perspective uh, about Notre Dame that is obviously not full Homer because, uh, you know, he roots for USA. So I, 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 I find it interesting. Um, they typically tape uh, during the season. Um, what do you, what do you Mondays and Thursdays pretty much. Right. So, um, yeah, we, it, it comes, we record Sunday night and then it comes out on Mondays. Um, sometimes, I mean, I have three kids now and he just had his first child. So it gets kind of hard to record twice a week. Um, but I feel like it's a big game. Like USC, when, anytime they play USC, we do twice a week. Um, and then yeah, if some big news happens, we'll try to get it in. I, I've been listening since 2016, which was, <laughs> if, if you were a Notre Dame fan and a USC fan, you know that those went in opposite directions. <laughs> but then the tables got turned here this last year, which was kind of fun to to listen to. You know, for the first year, Greg was saying, oh, I don't even want to talk about the game. It was just so terrible. And I can't believe we did that with Virginia Tech. And, uh, you know. And then now Michael's saying, uh, do I have to talk about the, uh, the Utah game? And, you know, just like it, it was it's it's been really I, I think it's been really fun. So one, th- I, one I thing we've one thing we've learned is uh, losses drive listenership. People, <laughs> people love people love losses. Anytime the, the, anytime, for, the uh, former operators of this podcast would really agree their best <laughs> podcasts were post loss. Yeah. Yeah. So All right, Brad, no, you got I, anything to add before we get out of here? I would just say that I have a very pointed opinion and an answer to that last question from the post. Oh, we'll give it. Well, nah, it's probably best articulated in, uh, in offline. I, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't know who listens. So, uh, <laughs> it's a little personal. It's based in my own you know, personal experiences. I, I went to a state school. One of the answers on the blog was about what if you want a job in Chicago. It just so happens that the state school I went to also has a great network in Chicago. So I got a job in Chicago and I've done pretty well. And I'll leave it at that. So that's all I got. But you, went, you did go to an upper tier state school. I mean, my, yeah, Ohio, no, was, my of Ohio is an upper tier state school. It was a good school. Just hey, you know, try try telling the people I know that went to Notre Dame. Matt. I just decided not to go there and went to Eastern Michigan. So, Respectable decision. Uh, just just because this information is ridiculously hard to find online, and I'm not sure why. The Blue Gold game is at 12:30 on NBCSN. Um, it's been on NBCSN for the last couple of spring games. Yep. Um, but for some reason, the Notre Dame doesn't, didn't decide to publicize that or they didn't put it in a place that I could easily find that. So, Or you can read that in the anti-preview on One Foot Down. Awesome. Which I um, put there. It's Paul quite an Ber- easy place to find it, in fact. Paul Very Burmeister. easy if you'd read it. Paul Burmeister, who did the Miami of Ohio game from 2017, I believe, is doing the play-by-play. And Chris Sims is doing the analyst. And then they're putting fucking Doug Flutie on the field to watch the perspective of the quarterback because he's going to actually stand behind the line of scrimmage. So oh if, you didn't, if, you didn't already, tackled. if you didn't already think this game was a joke, Doug Flutie on the field should, uh, should, uh, you know, obs- should so- solve all those cure, cure all those ills or whatever. So. This, this is not going to end well. This isn't going to end well. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bring up Flutie at 1250 <laughs> in the morning. That's about it. Yeah. Bring up Flutie. Bring up McCarthy. Thanks, guys. Thanks. <laughs> now I got to go back. I'm getting texts from my wife like, what the hell are you doing? I got to go up and deal with that. So, all right. I got nothing more to add. So, I just want to thank everybody. If you listen this long, congratulations. You win. Um, but I, I want to personally thank uh, Greg again for coming on. It was uh, really nice having him on, getting his perspective. Uh, check his stuff out at, over at UHND. Uh, I've, I've known known that site for a long time uh one of the one of the sites i first started getting involved with working with with frank 
uh, way back in the uh, IBG days. We won't even go there, but um, they do excellent work. Uh, they got a good message board. It's a little bit different tone than other messages. So, um, check that out and, uh, you know, cue up the music because uh, we're out. So go Irish. Mm-hmm.